that are in our children's ministry, I encourage you to continue the conversations when you get home uh, throughout the week. And that was the whole purpose for us kind of doing that, was kind of partnering together so that you could take this home and continue to have dialogue with your kids. And so I just encourage you to do that and think about that. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26 through 35, is where we're going to read. I'm reading from the ESV. This is what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And then he will reign for, over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for the opportunity we have, Father, to just open it up and to read. And um, Father, I just pray that you would just uh, open our minds and our hearts. God, that your Holy Spirit would just move in this place, and that you would... Uh, help us to just uh, uh, see Jesus for how awesome and how beautiful he is, how amazing you are. Father, help us to see ourselves for who we are and help us to see our need for Jesus. Uh, Father, I just pray for uh, your spirit to move and to convict, and uh, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Timing is everything. It's probably a phrase you guys are pretty familiar with, right? You've heard that before. Timing is everything. There's a great great deal of truth to that statement. Timing is everything. For instance, the difference between a good joke and a bad one is a person's sense of timing. An appropriate pause makes a joke. An inappropriate pause kills that same joke. Right? Now, I am a horrible joke teller for a couple of different reasons. For one, I always usually leave an important piece of information out of the joke. Like, I can't remember the whole joke. And so it's like, get to the punchline, it's like, it doesn't make sense. Or the joke is so funny that when I get to the punchline, before I even get to the punchline, I'm already laughing out loud. And so the joke's not, it's like, I can't even finish the joke. Anybody else do that? Like, the joke is, am I the only one? I am the only one. Okay, some of you are honest. All right, sweet, thank you. I'm not alone. But I'm a horrible joke teller. Timing is important uh, for cooking as well. Uh, For instance, the steak on the grill is raw meat if it's cooked for too little time, and yet it's, it's charred uh, crisp of meat uh, if it's cooked for too long, right? T- timing is important in finance. Uh, when you invest in a particular stock and when you sell that particular stock will make a difference between whether you uh, make money or you lose money. Timing is, is everything. Timing is essential when dealing with people. Like you don't ask for a raise when business is not going well and when things are tense around the office, right? Like when the boss is in a bad mood, it's probably not a good time to go to him and ask for a raise. Timing is everything. Now, for some reason, I seem to have this impeccable knack for doing things or saying things at the wrong time. In other words, I have bad timing. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you, okay? But I'll never forget this one instance, man. I was in the fourth grade, and this memory has been burned in my mind 
uh, for all of eternity. Like, I'll never forget this. Even when I'm in heaven, I'll think about this memory, okay? It was that bad. And so it was in fourth grade, and Miss Campbell was my teacher, and I loved Miss Campbell. Miss Campbell was probably one of my favorite teachers in all of school. As a matter of fact, we're friends on Facebook today. And so I loved Miss Campbell. Fourth grade, though, it was April Fool's Day, and I remember waking up that morning thinking to myself, I am going to get Mrs. Campbell today. I'm going to, I'm going to fool her. I'm going to, I'm going to trick her. I'm going to, this is going to be great. So I remember going to school, and I was thinking, how can I get Miss Campbell? And remember, I'm in fourth grade, right? So I was thinking, how can I get Miss Campbell? Well, I don't remember what was happening that day. Apparently, the class was being rowdy. We were being rambunctious. We were doing whatever fourth graders do. And Mrs. Campbell was getting frustrated with us, and she was mad. Like, she was like, you guys, I'm at the end of my rope. You guys are killing me, killing me dead, right? And so this is what she was saying, and she was upset. And I remember it was after that she said that. She was like kind of scolded us, the class. She said, okay, line up for bathroom break. So the whole time that she was scolding us, I'm sitting there thinking, how can I get Miss Campbell? How can I get this April Fool's thing, right? So we line up for, for the bathroom break, and as we're walking out the door, I, I, I look at Miss Campbell, and I said, Miss Campbell, your shoe's untied. And then I look down, and Miss Campbell's got slip-on shoes, right? And so I'm thinking, oh, this, the, the joke doesn't even work. Like, is this, is, and so I remember looking at Miss Campbell, and she had this look of like, you are an idiot, right? Like this, like this disgust of like, I can't believe you just, like bad timing, I just scolded you. And then like, I don't even, I have slip on shoes. Like it doesn't even work that way. And so I was just, uh, bad timing, man. Timing is everything. And, and here's the thing. Our timing is not always uh, perfect, is it? Right? Our, our timing is not always perfect, but, but that's okay because we serve a God whose timing is always perfect. Amen. I mean, we serve a God whose timing is always perfect because at just the right time, at just the right time, God took care of our greatest need. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 4.4, the Apostle Paul writes uh, two-thirds of the New Testament. And this is what he says. He says, but when when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God's timing is always perfect. He, he knows just what we need at just the right time. And that was true, to, that's true today, and it was true over 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to this earth as a little baby. Now, it's, it's interesting to me that our Christmas cards and our Christmas pageants and our nativity scenes always seem to kind of depict this, this calm and serene scene with Mary and Joseph and the angels and baby Jesus, you know, like everything's just kind of calm and uh, cool. And, uh, but that, that wasn't uh, the reality of the first Christmas at all. It was anything but calm. As a matter of fact, when Jesus comes onto the scene, it's during some pretty dark times uh, for the nation of Israel, for God's people. And that's one of the things that I love about the Bible. I love that about the Bible because the Bible, it, it doesn't clean up its history. Right? It doesn't try to hide things. It doesn't try to push things in the corner. Right? It, 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 but it tells you the truth. Like, these are pretty dark times, and, 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 and it tells us the truth. It doesn't try to cover it up. It doesn't try to hide it. And what I love about the Bible is, is the fact that Jesus comes right smack dab in the middle of all the mess. That's what I love about it. He comes right in the middle of it. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't steer clear from it. But rather, he enters into the fray. And when Christ entered into the world as a baby, he enters during uh, a very dark time of the nation of Israel, nation of the Israel, God's people Israel, right? 
The times were marked by hopelessness and despair. I'm going to use my marker again today and pad. You guys good with that? All right? All right. So, so the times that Jesus entered into the world, it was times marked with hopelessness, I'm going to shorten it, and despair. Despair. All right? Short there. Uh, do you realize that prior to the angels showing up in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, announcing the birth of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, uh, and before the, the angel announces Jesus' birth, that Israel had not heard from God for 400 years. 400 years. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament written in the 5th century B.C., and it concludes with a statement that God would send Elijah the prophet, which would be John the Baptist, as a forerunner for the Messiah. And then you have 400 years of silence, right? It appeared that God, uh, to God's people, that he had abandoned them. It appeared that he had he'd gone missing. 400 years of silence. Think about it. Generation after generation after generation. And no word from God. Now, you have to understand that they had grown accustomed to God raising up prophets and speaking through the prophets and giving them uh, the word. And for 400 years, God did not raise up a single prophet. Not a single word. 400 years of silence. No communication. No communication. 400 years. Now, we don't like to wait, do we? Right? we? We don't like to wait. We're people that don't like to wait. Right? And, and I said, I told first service, Amazon has ruined us, haven't they? Like Amazon Prime, you can get things, you can order things in the morning and get it in the, the evening, can't you? You anybody ever do that? Like We don't like to wait. And they've spoiled us. Can you imagine waiting a day, two days, a week? A month, a year, two years, three years. What happens when you begin to wait, right? You, you begin to, what, lose hope and, and despair. And so you imagine God's people for 400 years, man. 400 years, no communication, no they, they silence from God. If you're crickets, no word. They were hopeless and despair. The, the nation of Israel was fracturing, man. They, they, were, they were experiencing some spiritual darkness as well. Spiritual darkness. I don't know if you know this or not, but it was during this period of time where you see these religious groups kind of started to form. Uh, you see in the New Testament these guys called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's when these guys showed up on the scene. Right? It was, it was during this period of time uh, when, when the nation of Israel was kind of feeling hopeless and they were in despair. They hadn't heard from God. And so these guys kind of raise up, rise up, and they say, you know what? We'll begin to lead the people. And so they formed these religious groups called the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so you see these groups in, in the New Testament. And, and, and these, these religious groups attempted to control the people through religion. And what they did is they, they used the law of Moses... And they became very legalistic, and so that they put all these rules on these people, right? They, they would take the law, and they would add things to it. And so not only were God's people hopeless and, and in despair, but now, now you've got these Pharisees and Sadducees who are leading them into spiritual darkness because they're trying to follow God's law. They're, like, getting, you know, hopeless and despair. And now you've got these guys adding these legalistic rules uh, to boot. And then they're feeling like, man, what, what do we do here? Like, this is, this is killing us. It was a weight they couldn't bear. This is why Jesus comes onto the scene. And in Matthew chapter 11, it says, All those who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest. For my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And Jesus, Jesus actually condemns the religious leaders in Matthew 23 because for them it was all about the rules 
and rituals. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. So he was leading them. They were leading them into spiritual, spiritual darkness. These times were marked uh, by fear and uncertainty. Fear and uncertainty. Do you realize that during this time, I'm going to, there you go. During this time, it was a, a period of time where Rome kind of dominated the world. And so Rome was in control. You had King Herod. Uh, you read about him there in Luke 1 and 2. King Herod, man, was a cra- one crazy dude. Right? He had a lot of his family killed. Uh, he was a madman. He was very um, egotistical and self-absorbed. Uh, you see in, in, in Luke chapter 2 that Caesar Augustus has issued a census be taken because what Rome was going to start doing is they were going to start taxing the people. Right? And so, so here you have the Israelites who are living in their own, own hometown and, and they feel like they're exiles. Because Rome is starting to take over and dominate. And so, man, they, they begin to, to have some fear and uncertainty about the future. Like, what, what's going on here? We haven't heard from God. 400 years have passed. Silence. Nothing. Hopelessness and despair. Then you've got these religious fractions raising up, trying to lead people spiritually. But all they're doing is leading them down a spiritual darkness. And then you've got Rome, who is just kind of bearing down on them. And they're like, man, this is fear and uncertainty. Like, what's going on here? It was dark times. It was dark times. And then there's Mary and Joseph, who we just read about. Listen, I can't even begin to fathom what Mary and Joseph went through. The emotional roller coaster that they must have been on. Right? The angel greets Mary and says, Oh, favored one, which simply means that Mary was a recipient of God's grace. I mean, how cool is that? But, but the text also says that she was greatly troubled and afraid at the angel's appearance. I mean, this is Gabriel. Like, Gabriel's mentioned in the Old and New Testament. I, I'm pretty sure Gabriel's like God's right-hand angel or something, right? I mean, Gabriel is like top stuff. And when Gabriel comes to see you, man, it's serious business. And so she's like greatly troubled at this. And in verse 34, uh, she says uh, to the response about carrying the Messiah in her womb, she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, now the Isaiah prophesied in, in Isaiah seven fourteen. it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And in verse 27, it says, The virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now in those days, a betrothal was a lot like our modern day engagement, except it was a little bit more serious. A betrothal would last about a year, and a betrothal acted almost as if a marriage. The only difference was that they could not have sexual relations, right? And you're like, what? That sounds crazy. So for a whole year, the trothal period, they, they, they stayed apart from each other. They didn't, they didn't have relations. And, and the betrothal was so serious that it could only be uh, broken by an official divorce. That's why in, God, in Matthew's gospel, he records that because Joseph was a righteous man, he was willing to divorce Mary quietly to, to help her avoid shame. I mean, think about how difficult this would have been for them. Think about the fear and uncertainty they must have had, right? I mean, think about it. Think about it if you're married. I mean, how, how do you explain this to your soon-to-be husband? Honey, I got something to tell you. You might want to sit down for this, right? I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin, <laughs> right? Joseph is thinking, woman, you are off your rocker, right? What Kool-Aid have you been drinking? You know, I mean, you got to imagine Mary is probably 13, 14 years old at the, at the most, and here she comes and she shares this, this news with Joseph. I don't, I don't know what it would have been like for them. 
I don't know, Mary, I don't know what it was like in ancient times. I don't know if Mary would have stayed indoors the whole time. Maybe she stayed secluded for nine months and maybe people didn't notice. Maybe there wasn't a lot of chatter going on. But, but she had to have come out sometime. And people, the villagers, they would have seen Mary. They would have seen her shape changing. They would have known that something was going down. Think about it. Think about the fear and uncertainty they experienced. And so what I want you to see this morning is, is that it was during dark times. It was during this hopelessness and despair, fear and uncertainty, spiritual darkness, that Jesus enters in. That's why I love it. Jesus enters in. God's timing is always, always perfect. Amen? You guys agree with that? Now let me ask you a question. Do you think we live in dark times today? Live in dark times? Absolutely. Are there folks today that are walking around that feel like their life is hopeless and they're living in despair? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, there, there are probably folks right here today that are struggling and they feel like that they're at the end of their rope. For some, this season isn't so happy and joyful, but yet it's a, it's a bitter reminder of, uh, of, of people that have passed and gone on before them. Right? It's, it's a time, man, where you just kind of remember loved ones and, and, and it's hard. You know, just a couple of months ago, right here in this room, there was a young man who brought a friend to church for the first time. And it wasn't until after the service that I found out that this young man had been contemplating suicide and he was ready to end his life. For him, life was not worth living. But see, God showed up at the right time. Because on that day, that that fellow... That young man heard the gospel message. He heard about Jesus. He heard uh, about, a, uh, about how Jesus loves him and, and, and is pursuing him in a relationship and wants to have a relationship with him. And this young man, who was hopeless and in despair, found hope in Jesus. He heard about the gospel message, and he found hope, and has turned his life around. He's no longer contemplating suicide, which is awesome. God's timing is always perfect. There are some folks, man, who are just living in such depression, they feel like they're all alone, isolated, unloved, and miserable. And they're just looking for something. Something to fill that, that void, that, that void of hopelessness, man. And despair, they're like, what, what is it? They're looking for something. See, God, God, at just the right time, sent Jesus. Or maybe, the, maybe you're like the Israelites. You feel like, man, you're going through a season of life where God has just been silent. Anybody ever go through those times? Anybody going through a time like that right now? Man, you guys are just like, we could just end the sermon right now because you guys are good, right? We're, we're good, right? But it's it, when he seems, you wonder if, if God is even really paying attention, don't you? You feel distant and disconnected from God, and that's, and that's the way the trouble always seems to operate. It's like a magnet on our attention. And in seasons of pain or turmoil or difficulty or hopelessness and despair, Right? Those things act as, as a prison wall is kind of closing in around us. And we can't see beyond. When those things come on, man, we tend to, to shrink down to the size of us, don't we? Like, you know how big our God is and how awesome our God is and how great our God is? Like, when things are going well, man, we see those, we see those things. But, man, when, when we're starting to struggle and we start to, to feel that hopelessness and despair... Man, our, our world shrinks down to the size of us, and we can't see. We can't see those things. And listen, so oftentimes, man, we believe that our circumstances uh, and, and the things that we're going through coincide with the way that God feels about us. I know that's something that most Christians struggle with. 
we think, man, if, if I'm going through a difficult time right now, what did I do to get on God's bad side? Why is God upset with me? Why is God mad at me? Right? You, you kind of feel that, that feeling of hopelessness and despair, right? You're like, why, why is God upset? Why is he not, you know, you start to, to wonder those things. Listen to me, even when the Israelites went through 400 years without God sending a single word to them, listen, God was still working. God was still working. Prophecy was being fulfilled, preparing the way for the Messiah to come into the world. God was still moving. He was still working. And listen, when you're going through difficulty in your life, man, God is not absent. God's not silent. It's not an indication of how God feels about you. God's not mad or disappointed. He's not punishing you because, listen, it's just what, as Christians, we still experience tough times. You ought to know how God feels about you because he sent his son to die for you. Isaiah, I love what Isaiah 59 1 says. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not too shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. In other words, when difficulty in your life is, is, is going on, it's not a sign that God's hand is too short. It's not a sign that he can't hear. But rather, believe it or not, it's a sign that, that of his love. Right? So many times we, we bought into this idea that once you give your life to Jesus, man, everything's going to be kind of hunky-dory. Right? Life is going to be easy, free of difficulty. We think that God's just going to kind of navigate us around hard things. But that's not the reality of Scripture. That's not what Scripture shows us. I mean, God didn't spare his own son. Jesus came to this earth in the middle of it, and he suffered. And he went to the cross. But what God does offer is to be with us. And that's the good news of Advent. Emmanuel, God with us, that in the middle of our hopelessness, uh, God brings hope, and he is with us. He is with us. We can take comfort in that this morning. That he is with us, that he loves us, that he's pursuing us, that, that at just the right time, God met our need. God's timing is perfect. And then there are folks today, man, that are walking around with fear and uncertainty. I mean, listen, we can't go, it seems like, a week without hearing about a mass shooting somewhere or some terrible thing happening. You know, it's, just, it's, it's fear and uncertainty today. Like, people are scared. Like, what is going on? There's financial uncertainty, right? People's, people's retirement funds have been split in half, and they're like, man, am I even going to be able to retire? Will I even have a job? Will I be able to pay my bills? Will I be able to provide for my family? Will, will my marriage survive? What, what about the future for my kids? What is that going to be like? You see, there's a fear and uncertainty today in our world, isn't there? There's a lot of that going on. And we fear it because, listen, we don't know what the future holds. And because we're not in control. We like to be in control, don't we? We like to be able to know what's going on. And yet, we don't. It's fear and uncertainty. We don't know what's going on. But at just the right time, God met our need. Because Advent is about the celebration of Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. And in our fear and uncertainty, He brings us peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what the Scripture says. Jesus brings us peace, a shalom type of peace, a shalom that was broken in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, that was lost. And Advent is a celebration of, of, of God restoring that peace through Jesus Christ, that through Jesus Christ we can experience that peace again. 
that peace again. John, John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. Man, how awesome is that? That Jesus gives us his own peace. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. Man, in times of fear and uncertainty, people need peace, don't they? Man, Jesus is peace. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Be assured, God is with you whatever you face in your struggles and anxious thoughts and worries of life. He is there. Man, God is good, isn't he? God is good. God is there. He is with us. What about spiritual darkness? Are there people today walking around spiritual darkness? Spiritual blindness? They're lost. They're without Jesus. I mean, I tell you, I mean, people are searching today. They're looking for an identity. They're looking for something to validate their existence in life. They're walking around hopeless and despair, trying to find an identity in, in something else besides the, the thing that, that can give them identity. They're searching in all the wrong places. People are looking for satisfaction and hope from their work, their family, their hobbies. And none of those things will bring lasting satisfaction. And listen, there's spiritual darkness even in the church. It's not just outside the church. There are people, just like the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, there are people who try to, to, to make it about you earning salvation, like you can earn something. Do this and do that. And we put all these restrictions, we put all these commands, we put all these rules on people. Live this way, live that way. And that's not the gospel. Spiritual darkness, man. Because Jesus has come to set us free of those things. It's not about you trying to earn your way to heaven. It's not about you trying to earn your, your, your position uh, with God. It's about Jesus who came to this earth and he died on the cross. And because of his righteousness, because of his goodness, you were made right in God's eyes. Not anything that you've done. I love, I love, that's, and that's the beauty of the gospel. I love uh, just the fact that God meets us in our brokenness. I love Isaiah 9, 9, 2. It says that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. See, Jesus comes breaking into the darkness and bringing his light. Jesus is a light that shines in the darkness. He meets us there to comfort us, to restore us, to strengthen us, to give us peace. See, in spiritual darkness, what we need is we need a Savior. We need Jesus. See, Jesus has come to break, to, to fix what was broken. And our hearts is what was broken. Jesus is the light that comes and shines in the darkness. He gives us that hope. He gives us salvation. While we may be living in dark times today, we have one advantage over the Israelites. And that is that we live on this side of the cross. Right? We live in the New Testament covenant of grace. Which is good news. It's good news. Because of the sacrifice, we have hope. Because of the sacrifice, we have hope. At just the right time, God's timing is perfect. At just the right time, God met our greatest need. And now my question for you is this. Whose need do you see? See, God met our greatest need. Whose need do you see? Listen, we, we live in, in times of hopelessness and despair, spiritual darkness and fear and uncertainty. Whose need do you see? 
Is there a neighbor? Is there a coworker? Is there a family member that's experiencing hopelessness and despair right now? I want you to think about that individual, that person that you can, can, can bring light into the darkness. That you can bring hope into a hopeless situation. That you can introduce Jesus to them. Who, who in your life do you know that's going through this situations, these circumstances, going through fear and uncertainty. Listen, my mom, God bless her, man, she is 66 years old. And, and, and we've moved her here to Richmond. She's in a, in a, in a rehab facility. She's laid up. She, she's probably going to be bound to a wheelchair for the rest of her life because of issues that she, she suffered when she was younger, cancer she had. I'm going to tell you something, man. My mom's a Christian. She's, she's, she loves Jesus. And my mom is struggling with fear and uncertainty. Like, well, what does the future hold? I'm going to tell you something. My mom loves Jesus. She knows Jesus. And there's times that she struggles with hopelessness sometimes. I see it. It breaks my heart. She seems to be reminded of the hope that she has. That she might not be able to walk again in this life, but she's going to have eternal life where she's going to be able to run and jump. And people need that hope. And we have it. So what I want to encourage you to do right now is we're going to uh, sing a little bit more. And I want to offer uh, you guys a, a time to, to have prayer time. I'm going to ask uh, a couple of folks if they would uh, come down uh, to the cross. And uh, they'll be here. And uh, they'll be ready to, to pray uh, for you and with you if you need that.